Hello and welcome to the 11th episode of Ladywood, a Deadwood fan cast uh, wherein two people who are longtime fans of the show and one person who is totally new to it are re-watching and watching for the first time the series Deadwood in anticipation of the new movie that should be coming out in 2019. So we are led to believe. I am Lynn Sternberger, I'm a television writer. Along with me I have... Dina Sean, <laughs> I'm a stand-up comedian and comedy writer. And Brandi Sperry, I'm a writer and also the co-host of the Downton Gabby podcast. Today we're discussing the 11th episode of the first season, Jules Boot is Made for Walking, which was directed by Steve Schill and written by Ricky Jay, who, as we mentioned, I believe in last episode, is also Eddie Sawyer on the show. And uh, in addition to being an actor and a writer, he was a sleight of hand magician, and he also just passed away November 24th of this year. This was his first Deadwood writing credit and his only one. He was only there for the first season. So the episode itself aired June 6th of 2004. Alma's father, Otis Russell, arrives from New York City to help with her claim, but soon begins to manipulate his daughter. Swearingen strikes a bargain with Adams to get rid of the Yankton magistrate. Trixie and Saul bang at the hardware store. Woo! <laughs> Much to the ire of Swearingen as Bullock expresses his distaste at the settlement's new sheriff. Yes, we all were happy. There was consummation of one of the one of the couples that we've been rooting for. Finally! <laughs> Saul and Trixie forever. <laughs> And then Al ruins it. <laughs> of course he ruins it. Of course he ruins it. Let's just briefly talk about that scene, though, because Trixie is, she has no idea how to navigate this. And she literally just walks in and is like, would you like a free fuck? <laughs> so I was like, well, yes, but I have to be wooed. <laughs> Say something nice to me, jeez. <laughs> so after a little more back and forth what passes for flirting in Trixie's world, I guess. Saw locks at the store. Because of these fucking great panes of glass that uh-huh. we talked about before, they have to like find a dark corner where no one will see them. He's got her on a bag of feed, you know, just started. Just go into it. Um, I do like that he tries to kiss her, and at first she's mm-hmm. like, that I don't, you know, kiss her. Very pretty woman. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. For some reason, I didn't think about pretty woman roles in Deadwood. <laughs> that was the thing. I just love the exchange where she said, he says, let me kiss you and the best she can come back with is, well, you're a goddamn Jew fool. <laughs> I was like, why so anti-Semitic right now? <laughs> but she lets him. She's very off her game, right? Like, this is, this is Trixie being very raw and, like, revealed. You know, like, right. making her, making her self available to a man she actually likes. Well, we've seen her have sex with Al, who she clearly has some type of attraction to or i don't mm-hmm. even know if that's the right exact i don't know word, if attraction they have yeah. you know it it never looked like she was having much fun even then right right, <laughs> right. this who knows the last time she had sex with someone that she actually like wanted to have sex with ever maybe never yeah this is a big moment for her and Chixie? she's real bad at it <laughs> 
kind of uh, cool that Trixie, uh, we opened the episode with Trixie standing at the window, looking down at the town, and Al's, like, talking to her as he always does, like, airing mm-hmm. his own grievances or whatever. Like, Trixie's kind of Al Swearingen's gri- grievance tree is how I think of her yeah. for him, like, that he just dumps all his emotional baggage on her. And then he tells her to, like, take a day off, and so she takes the time to take a day off and goes to Saul. And I was like, oh, right. <laughs> that's how she views one versus the other. One is work, and one is time mm-hmm. off one is leisure completely and this is definitely skipping ahead but after al discovers because of bullock's fat mouth fat what mouth. the hell idiot total stupid move and i thought this man was more measured than that like i thought he had a tighter grip on his emotions mm-hmm. than to get a little ruffled and then blast off at the mouth about the fact that trixie is over fucking his buddy little out of character for Seth Bullock, in my opinion. But then Al, of course, knows. He's got this, like, disgusting thing where he makes Saul pay for Trixie's services, even though it was supposed to be a free fuck. Mm -hmm. And it's this, you know, shaming thing, that he's shaming both of them in public and to each other. And it's really very sad and upsetting. And then, of course, he replaces Trixie at the end of the episode Mm -hmm. with a stand-in girl that can be his new grief tree or whatever. Do we even learn her name? I don't think so. We know that she's from Chicago. That's it. Yeah. He's so jealous, but he doesn't want to admit it. So he makes it about the transaction and Mm -hmm. everything wronged over the transaction. Because Trixie's his property, and he didn't have any say over her his property in that moment right right but i think what he's really mad about is that she wanted to go to another man yeah you can see it in the monologue that he gives at the end while he's giving a blowjob talking but i mean we learn more than we've ever known about his backstory and he's telling the story the first time he was abandoned by a woman his mother mm-hmm. because now he feels abandoned because Trixie went and it's just like Really, guy? Like, cry me a river. You think she wants to be with the guy who maybe treats her nice once in a while? Like, and doesn't what? beat the shit out of her? I realized that women were regarded as property not just when they were in this business relationship, mm-hmm. but when they were in, like, a marriage or any kind. But, like, I just don't understand why he's, like, so, seems so confused about why she would go to some other man. Like, why would she ever want to stay with you? Yeah. Even though she keeps coming back, like, emotionally, she's, She's not all there since the last time she came back. I also kind of refuse to give these kind of male characters any read of complexity about this particular thing because male writers love using this trope so much. You know, like <laughs> Call John, them out, Theta. John Hamm has this exact same thing in Mad Men. I grew up in a whorehouse, so I treat all my women like whores. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> oh Jesus. my God. I didn't even realize it. We should just not raise men in whorehouses. We should not. Hey, men yeah. should not be raised in whorehouses. But uh, also, don't hold all the women in your life accountable for all the things that have happened to you in the past, which seems to be this like shorthand for complex a complexity that a lot of male writers use for their characters. Such a good point. Like, yeah, why is he allowed to have Trixie be a stand-in for his mom in the first place? Exactly. Why is it always one woman standing in for another? Like, they're interchangeable. It's insane. Like, just have different relationships with different women. <laughs> is that so hard? <laughs> going to float this, but I don't think that Al is setting himself up to have a real romance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because the only women he keeps around him are in his employ. Yeah. So, you know, he's not going to get his the love of his... He's not, he's not even going to get an authentic emotion because everybody owes him something and or, oh, you know... Could you imagine, like, who would that be that would 
date Al. <laughs> yeah, well, then, <laughs> First, he would have to be like knocked down a peg, you know? Like, who would be capable of that? He would have to not be in a position of power. He would have to be like either completely powerless or like divorced from his identity, or where the other person has nothing to gain from being with him. That could possibly be a way that he could find it, but then he would be deeply unhappy because he was powerless. The only person I'd want to see with Al would be a female power broker. Like, the owl equivalent, like a lady owl, because right, you don't want that dynamic of, of power that he exerts in every single relationship. So you'd have to have somebody who has something over on him, right? I mean, I don't really need to see Al with anybody. I've this seen enough of his... This is very, does not compete. <laughs> I'm like trying to picture it of like, what kind of female character have we seen before who would make sense in this world? And it's just not as any like, of them. Yeah, as someone who could intoxicate Al in that way, I don't think such a person exists. I feel like he's been too fucked up. And not by women, but because he blames them for his issues, mm-hmm. I, I don't see it happening. Yeah. I mean, I would be astonished if the movie gave <laughs> Al a legitimate <laughs> It opens at Al's wedding. Oh my god! <laughs> This is what's brought everyone back to town. <laughs> oh Let's talk about a different new arrival in camp that actually happens in this episode. So Alma's dad. Oh Corey Matthews' dad from Boy Meets World. I remember being so disturbed by that the first time around, being like, Corey's dad's kind of me. <laughs> this is a very specific reaction from our age group that yeah. I'm sure other people don't have this problem. <laughs> I mean, if, if Ryder Straw never showed up in, in Deadwood, I would be oh sad. Oh, God, that would be amazing. <laughs> so I guess his name is Mr. Russell. I just think of him as Daddy. They definitely seem to have this, like, infantilized... He calls her something like Button. Button. Ooh, button. Alma doesn't strike me as a button, but, you yeah. know. Um, I actually had to look up what the actors' ages were, because I was like, are they, like, three years apart in real life? But yeah. no, they aren't. He's just very well-preserved as a, as a man. He's a Hollywood guy. He was, like, 20-something years older than... than okay, yeah. Yeah. I, I can't complain about that. But it was a very strange dynamic where she seems to be, like, the grown-up in yeah. this situation now. And what, He just seems so sketchy. I got, like, the worst vibes from him when he was in her hotel room and he tried to take that lump of gold ore with him as he left and Alma had to be like, hey dad, you still got my gold. What are you doing? <laughs> give me back my gold. You still have that like 20 pound nugget that I handed you if you could give that back. Did anybody else get like incesty vibes at all? I totally got, well, he kissed her on the mouth, which, and then everyone at the breakfast table was like, who the hell is this? We thought your husband was dead. And then she had to be like, no, no, no. Mr. Matthews was like, oh, it's a father's prerogative. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Mr. Matthews? <laughs> you know, from Boy Meets I do know. I do know. Like, it's deep in Tina's psyche. Yeah? <laughs> he shall forever be Mr. Matthews. <laughs> um, so he's more of a grifter than anything. I mean, it seems. Well, we already know that she had to marry Brom to pay off family debts. We don't know the whole story about why they were in debt. But now that we've met Daddy, we can guess that... Yeah. He's not the most savvy businessman, and he might have had some shady shit going on. He seems very shady. Even E.B. is like, I'm not sure I like the cut. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And that was after EB competed in the grossest Top Chef tournament ever <laughs> in Deadwood, serving out a brown hunks of meat and boiled potatoes. But he presented them like he was like a contestant. Like, oh, he was so proud. I'm starting to feel really bad about how long it's probably been since anyone in this camp has had a decent meal. Mm. Like, they never get the pleasure of food. I mean, no the, they drink so much. the the man eating pork seemed okay. I'd rather be eating in a town like Deadwood than like eating on a campfire inside of the road or like a squirrel I shot. I don't know. I feel like the squirrel might be cleaner. Because <laughs> do you remember the way Merrick at breakfast described those biscuits? Those like where, where flies and maggots oh. were entombed in their last <laughs> hurrah. And I was like, and you eat that voluntarily for the protein, I guess? pretty gross Ugh. i wouldn't trust the hotel food period i would definitely go to like chinaman's alley or whatever they're calling it within there that seemed at least freshly prepared yeah that looks good that had like a mongolian grill vibe to it yeah. <laughs> when jack mccall was there just the mongolian grill you can watch them yeah. it right in front of you yeah and exactly. jack mccall didn't want to eat it i was like what's wrong with you me the first Michelin Benny star. The first Benny Hanna was at that <laughs> um, well, well, one thing I did want to bring up as a plot point from the last episode is this idea of a race riot that mm. would get incited if two white men were killed for the one Chinese uh, opium runner that was killed in the last episode. So Al brought this up as a potential, and he wanted to avoid a race riot at all costs because mm. he, his, everything's running fine. But the opium junkie that did survive, Leon, is totally pissed off that one of the whites had to die. And so Sai is egging him on. And I think we find out in this episode that Sai wants to make a move on the land that Mr. Wu owns. And so part of what he can do with the race riot is to essentially drive off the population that's already there. And so he engages Leon, the, the dope person, to basically be like a racist newsboy like in, in his bar be like, ah, they killed a white man for a Chinaman. Yeah. And he even has to tell him to tone it down a bit because he's being like a little bad actor. <laughs> yeah. bad actor about it. Yeah, I think I actually think Leon is stupid enough that he would have just been fine to like let it go. I don't think he was really thinking about all the ramifications mm-hmm. until Sai brought it up. But uh, yeah, Sai's not gonna let Al get away with this. And I think you're right; he has a lot of different scenarios that are possible for mm-hmm. him to gain from this. I think so. He's always wanted to take Al down a peg, right? Mm-hmm. And this is a way to do it to paint him as someone who is favoring the Chinese population over the white population. Although it would be at odds with what Al thought he was doing earlier, which was when they were having the meeting of the patriarchy and uh, he learned that Sai had purchased land. That would be to like serve those men yeah. who, who were living in the camp right, right. with another whorehouse. Um, so you can't both get rid of the population and serve them so but it's weird because he has that conversation with Joni in this episode he's like some land's about to open up where the Chinese people are and jo- Joni's like but they're there first so I can't buy that land maybe Sai's got a, a different potential use for yeah. that space in the future because that was Al's assumption not not his own that's true but you're right I mean I can't tell if he really does have something to gain from an actual race riot Mm -hmm. or if he's just you know he's been sort of depressed since Joni left him he seems to be wanting to act out more than having actually planned out all of what could happen 
I think you're. I think you kind of got the the gist of it when you said it's taking Al down a peg. Mm-hmm. I do feel like it's been a very like neck and neck, and he wants to usurp his power and mm-hmm. and take that place for himself because that's the kind of guy he is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he seems very bitter about plans having been made or continuing along to pay off the magistrate that don't involve him. He purposefully like throws his bag of money that he's contributing into the mud. Muck, yeah. And of, of what a baby. Yeah, it's that's what I'm saying is like there's an element of throwing a fit, but then there's also just like he really does he has been trying to think of a way to get one over on Al and gain power. I don't I just don't think that he's thought it out enough that this is gonna go well. I think we're all squarely in Al's camp in this <laughs> no particular <laughs> in this head to head, we're rooting for Al. Yeah. Which is weird that by this point in the season you're actively rooting mm-hmm. for ostensibly the villain of the show mm-hmm. yeah I, I think Seth doesn't have enough interesting like heroic conflict with with Al for it to be for us to care what Seth is doing versus what Al's doing whereas Al's motivations and Sai's motivations are in direct conflict with each other and have to do with the livelihood of the camp so their stakes are way higher whereas Seth is still like my wife and kids are coming that we haven't addressed in six episodes. So, you know, they're really dragging this out, but it seems quite obvious that Seth is at some point going to become the sheriff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's just like, like, what is that? No, I don't want to be sheriff. I just, How many times think... can you say you don't want to be sheriff before we're like, all right, you're going to be the sheriff yeah. at some point? I don't really understand either why Tom Nuttall is also feeling so depressed in this episode that he goes along with this plan for Con Stapleton to sort of be appointed sheriff with not even the modicum of a vote that they pretended to have before when they were appointing people to various positions. I don't get it either, but I I think it's probably the same issue that I have with Sai. I have with Tom, although we see much less of Tom, but it's... Because like we don't have access to them all that to mm. their to their inner workings in the same way that we get access to Al because he spills his guts to Trixie or to mm. E B because he spills his guts to a blood stain on the floor. <laughs> but we just don't know what their motivations like really are. I mean, with Sai, it seems like Joni is a motivation mm. and power is a motivation, but that's all all we know of it. And then he's like and he's a psychotic individual. But, like, Tom, who the fuck knows? Who cares also? Like, we spend so little time in his universe. He got real sensitive about that hot plate that was supposed to be between the stove and the wall. (laughs) That seemed to be his, like, ticking point. Like, I don't want to put a metal plate there. I don't want to make sure my joint doesn't burn down. to the ground. I was like, this seems so practical. Like, don't you want your joint to stay up? (laughs) Yeah, all of that seemed a little like just moving chess pieces around to get Seth closer to the point where he would just agree to be the fucking sheriff. It really wasn't very compelling. And I think it brings up another thing, like nitpick that I have about the whole season, which is like, what is the timeline of this camp? Yeah. Because Tom and Al seem like they're reminiscing about like years ago Mm -hmm. when they were the new pioneers of the camp. Mm -hmm. But then... What Alma's dad is saying about it is as if it's only existed for a few months. And it it's sounded only like been, three months. Yeah, yeah, and it's only been a big boom in even the last few weeks. So yeah. I'm like, this is a fantasy world where the timeline is whatever it needs to be for right. each episode. And we haven't even talked about the fact, really, that like most episodes take place over the course of just one day. A day. Yeah. They start in the morning, they end in the night. A couple of them have some other things going on, but mostly 
it just is whatever day it needs to be for the storyline that's taking place. And I don't think there's a cohesive timeline. I think there could have been an episode or two where we jumped ahead a few weeks. Um, right, like all of a sudden the store's bill and the writers are yeah. back. <laughs> but yeah, for the most part, it's taking place over a short period of time. I think what was confusing to me was not knowing how long Al's been there. And I think we brought that up before. Like, is it years? It seems yeah. like years, but maybe not. Maybe it was only like a matter of months before we pick up and... The gem is constructed and not much else is, and that's the beginning of, that's the pilot. It just seems like he was so solidified as, like, the person to fear and who had power. How do you establish that so quickly? In three months. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't make sense. I agree. So the main storyline we haven't talked about so far is the one that the episode is named for, which is the Doc starting to construct a boot for Jewel so that she can have better mobility. Although he's worried that it'll actually be worse mobility. I was impressed that he thought through the ramifications of like, well, it could not, it could hurt you more. And it was very like a holistic approach to medicine. (laughs) (laughs) You could lose what mobility you do have because you're not using those muscles. Or you could come to rely on the brace and you could lose the strength that you are. I was like, this guy knows what he's talking about. Even if it's frontier medicine, Mm -hmm. it's pretty savvy. And also, why was he so scared of that book that she... First of all, where did she get the book? Is this where Jewel spends her time? Like, does she have a little library in her room and she's, she's like, reading about the research. Civil War? I guarantee we will never know. He sees that she has a book and he immediately is like, I don't want to read about the Civil War. And I just feel like this is something she's like, <laughs> him about before. Like, tell me about the battlefield, Doc, or something. <laughs> Because his reaction is so immediate, and uh, this is just my headcanon at this point, but I love the idea of Jewel as, like, a secret scholar. <laughs> with all She's obsessive books. about the Civil War. Or maybe many things. Maybe whatever she can get a book about, that's what she's interested in. I don't know. She seems like a jolly and enterprising woman. Yeah. And her reasons for true. wanting to get the brace uh, make, made me kind of savvy, and it's because of Al. Al just keeps yelling at her for dragging her feet and so she's trying not to drag her feet anymore yeah it is sad because she seems to have a very good attitude about that in Mm. general and she lets al roll off her back and she can definitely throw back a zinger at him and does so in this episode but of course for a while you're not going to want to take that kind of abuse anymore my favorite hands down favorite part of this episode was when al harasses her about where she's been and she she admits she's gone to see the doc and he said, like, what for? And she's like, I'm knocked up. I died. <laughs> I wish. I mean, in a progressive society, yeah, 100%. Why not? Uh, very good comedic timing from Jerry Jewell, after whom the character is named. So, Right. I recently watched, um, and I sent you guys an interesting interview with her where she talks about helping David Milch develop the character, which I had never known about. And she seems like such a delightful person in real life, too. You can really tell that they, like, let her bring a lot of that, her own personality to the role. Jerry, if you're listening, come be on our show. Anytime. So in addition to sweeping, she reads up about the Civil War. She maybe, at least in Brandy's headcanon, has a little library in her (laughs) personal quarters. Yeah, I'm into that idea. (laughs) Well, she said in this interview that her proposal was that Jewel and Jane would be good friends. That I would love to see. And that David Mills rejected that, and she just kept trying to get it back in there, like, that she thought they would really get along. They should. They would. <laughs> They're both, like, kind of not, like, feminine archetypes in that town. Right. Yeah. And now I want that. 
that fan fiction as well. I want to see Jewel having a conversation with a completely shit-faced Jane. That would be incredible. <laughs> I mean, any conversation with a shit-faced Jane is a good one. But... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she doesn't actually get her boot in this episode, which I guess means we will see more of her next time, which is great. Um, there, There is actually a feminist uh, kind of moment in this. I think Alma is watching Seth and her and Mr. Matthews walk up and down the street, <laughs> and she's kind of explaining sort of how women's roles are in the world to the little her ward basically so, that she's yeah. watching and i thought that was like that was a good moment for alma just sort of laying like out her perspective and how she thought it was unfair she clearly hates the idea that she's being talked about behind her back mm-hmm. she mentions it at dinner she thanks seth for uh, acknowledging her presence when her dad is basically talking directly to seth as if she's not there right. about her interests I think this gives a little bit of insight into why she was the way she was when they arrived in camp, like maybe why she started taking drugs in the first place, like not just that she didn't like her marriage, but that she has never liked her station in life, never liked the way that women are treated in Mm -hmm. life. She should milk this widow thing, I mean, (laughs) yeah, she's got a banana, she's got no husband to be submissive to, Mm -hmm. her parents her dad at least has to this point been dis far away not Mm -hmm. involved in her affairs i think he's a huge wrench in her little life that she's been shaping herself in deadwood and she'd be happy if he just turned on his heel and got the hell out of there she was a good actress when she pretended to be very happy to see him when he popped in right yeah but it's like there's a reason he didn't write ahead yeah (laughs) totally (laughs) but he heard about the bonanza somehow right Right. I think she had been, you know, keeping them apprised of her situation. He also says that people back home are suspicious that she had something to do with Brom's death. But that's hearsay, right? Right. That's totally hearsay. That's him essentially trying to force her to move back. To maybe clarify the rumors, but if I heard those kind of rumors, I would stay exactly where I was. <laughs> Especially because Seth keeps bringing up the fact that New York courts have no, uh, no power in Deadwood. So whatever they decide in New York, like that her land claim actually belonged to the Brahms family or whatever would hold mm-hmm. no water in Deadwood. Yeah, my question is, what does he want her to come back? First of all, they were happy to marry off their kid to go live in the fucking Wild West mm-hmm. with this inane idiot. Like, just, Brahm was not... He's not long for this world. An enterprising, hearty <laughs> gentleman, right? Like, he was a baby in man's clothes. But... They're happy to send her off because whatever, the ties to his family do right by her family financially. Mm-hmm. And now that they found out that she has money, dad comes sniffing around. Yeah. Is it so that he can have her under his thumb that he wants her to come back? Because, I mean, there's no other real reason, right? Like, it doesn't seem like fatherly affection is really his motivation here. His conversation with Seth was also weird. Like, what was he implying to Seth? That, like, he wanted Seth to watch after Alma or he wanted Seth to watch after Alma's interest. Because there, Seth immediately corrects him by telling him that he's, he's got, married. Yeah, he's married. Yeah, that was weird. It was like, keep boning my daughter. It seems fine. Seems <laughs> yeah. like a good situation for the both of you. It's okay. I'll, turn, I'll look away, you know? It was very odd, whatever the implications yeah, were. We, I don't get him. <laughs> I guess is what I'm getting at. I don't get him. He's not a simple thief. Yeah, it's unclear what he wants. He clearly wants something to do with the gold. But, Money. But what is he, how is he going to go about controlling it is the issue. It's very odd to, if he wants to control the money, be encouraging another man to stay involved in the situation, right? Yes, yes. That's, the, that's what doesn't make sense. 
Well, he's not left yet, right? So we'll probably get him more yeah. in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it's clarifying. I, I legitimately do not recall mm. this particular storyline and how it played out from my initial watching. So I'm curious to see what happens. Almost seems like she's staying now, though. Like any any inkling she might have had, she would leave. Yeah, she's in. She's a Deadwood resident now. Yeah. Can she find somewhere else to live besides the hotel? Then I mean, my God, the food looks so bad. (laughs) She has to tolerate E. B. hovering over her all the time. Like the the cook who looks like the cover of The Giver. Richardson. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. He looks like the cover of The Giver. Yes. (laughs) Anybody who went to like middle school at the same time as us now completely understands that (laughs) reference, but everybody else is like, what? (laughs) But we all had to read that book, right? Matthews and the (laughs) (laughs) The Giver. Some really timely references here. Okay, so um, another character that we touch base with in this episode is the Reverend who was pretty fucked last week, is more fucked this week. He's hanging off of poles. He Ooh. seems to have very little control over his body. He's preaching to cows in it, the street. He's talking a lot about circumcision. That yeah. was, I, I was imagining as a television writer, I was like, to write this dialogue, this is very odd that this was the choice that they made. I guess it's keeping in the like biblical theme of all of his ranting and raving, but mm-hmm. it was still su- super uncomfortable. Andy Kramed, Kramed. Kramed passes uh, with him, mm-hmm. and we hear Andy's uh, fallen off the gambling wagon again and is back in town, and he was hoping to be helpful, but he's stymied because the pest tent is coming down. It's kind of a very similar problem to Jane, just with gambling. Nowhere to go, nowhere to be useful. Yeah, purposeless. His skin is really clearing up. Yeah. <laughs> He's, he's without purpose, and he sees how much worse, of course, the Reverend has gotten, and he's not the only one who's noticed. Al is watching him from his balcony and actually very upset by it. He cries at one point, and I was hard-pressed to believe that until I built for myself in my head the backstory about like him equating the Reverend with his brother, who, right. who had mm-hmm. seizures mm-hmm. as well. And so, I think that's been hinted at. Yeah. Before. So he's upset. Everybody's upset by what's happening with the Reverend. Al's really in touch with his past trauma. <laughs> and taking it out on women. Oh, Al is also like super wasted this entire episode. Yeah. So I, the drinking and the reminiscing and feeling, I don't know, yeah. nostalgia might have done Usually it. Usually he doesn't imbibe too much. Oh, he was trash. Yeah. And I imagine it was because he's replaced Trixie and his life is taking a turn mm-hmm. or something. He's feeling less control, so he's drinking. I don't know. What did you guys make of that? I was really surprised by how much he was drinking. He always seemed like a good drinker. Like, it it was consistent, but an amount that was manageable. And so when he was kind of spinning out and drinking, I was like, what is causing this? I mean, is it the brother trauma? Is it Trixie? Is there something even deeper than that? Is there some kind of depression that's actually like communicable going on in Deadwood it seems like everyone gets their like depression episode and he's also I imagine a little upset that there's still this like it's not a bounty or anything but Mm -hmm. he's got that warrant out for him and Mm -hmm. that was a knock I honestly I think most of it had to do with Trixie and the way that he's had to make this switch within his she was his uh confidant and he doesn't have that anymore 
And that other girl doesn't say anything, so. Well, when she says literally one word, he's like, shut the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> he has no one to blame but himself. I, I just don't get it, you know? It is all his fault. Absolutely. He has no real friendships. But I don't think the Reverend's long for this world. We've got one episode left. I'm hoping he bites it. Yeah. So we don't have to watch the prolonged suffering. Of... We've wa- we've watched the prolonged yeah. suffering. Yeah. We've gone through it, right? It's time for this man to be put out of his misery to a degree. The only other thing I um I really thought was like Sita, I think you mentioned the sort of like feminist moment of uh, Alma talking about her lot in life while watching Seth and her and her dad talk. For me, there was another very feminist exchange when Doc visited or when Jewel visited Doc and, um, you know, said that dragging her leg makes Al crazy and he just says, fuck Al. And that um, she needs to, like, stop apologizing. He says, don't apologize Mm. to me. And I was like, okay, Doc is now in competition for best feminist in Deadwood. (laughs) Um, Ellsworth has fallen out. We didn't see him in these episodes, so he's going to have to hold on to the title. He's there when uh, Alma's father arrives, but he cedes the conversation to Alma's father very quickly. So I'm I'm almost like that's a point against him. Yeah, it is. Too deferential. Yeah, Mm -hmm. too deferential to the dad. Yeah. So um, (laughs) Doc takes title of best feminist in this episode for me. Mr. Matthews takes title of second to last. Worst feminist. Hi, Cy. It's Cy or Mr. Matthews. Mr. Matthews again? <laughs> All right, well, we'll see next week what happens on the finale where we leave off. Uh, we will continue on into season two after that, but we'll see where people had to wait for a year yeah. back in the day for what was going to happen. Are Saul and Trixie Dunzo? I hope not. I don't think Saul's going to give up without a little more of a fight. Yeah. yeah. No more sex in the champagne room. At no. The store. <laughs> Not in the champagne feed room. <laughs> and also, will Trixie get some new stockings? I am very curious to see yeah. if that will Those ever stockings happen. stockings were terrible. They were really bad. It's like, at this point, what's the point of the stockings? <laughs> Just don't wear them at all. And uh, any other outstanding questions? Oh, Merrick got a camera. He was harassing people with his camera. He was such a hipster camera. about it, too, right? Yeah, and he's like, don't, t- don't touch my... It's a very expensive piece of equipment. Is this where all his money went? Remember he didn't have any money to contribute? Just he had a camera on layaway? Camera. And Al gonna see that camera and be like, what the fuck? I'm paying your share for the bride. You didn't want the vaccine? <laughs> I don't think that's one of our most pressing issues going into the finale, but for completion's sake, we've mentioned it. So the issues pressing for the finale are race riot. Mm-hmm. Is it going to happen? Yep. Will Seth be sort of gaming an authoritarian figure if, yeah. if the race riot does happen? And then who else do you care about? In the Is finale? Joni ever going to get a property to call her own? Is Jane ever going to come back from the woods? Is Alma gonna bone Bullock? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All of these things matter to me. So I'm guessing someone's gonna die and someone's gonna bone down in the finale. Reverend's gonna, yeah. Reverend's gonna, let's, okay, Bets, do you remember any of this? Because I don't remember how it plays <laughs> out. Bets, the Reverend dies. Yeah, Reverend, I, I'm with that. We've been, and maybe uh, one other person for good measure. That would be my thought, like a violent thing or a sure. punishment thing yeah. or a whatever. Also for juxtaposition, right? Yeah. And uh, boning. Maybe Alma and, and Bullock will bone. Maybe. It is a finale. If I do remember. Oh, 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 oh. oh. 
<laughs> widow sex is the best. <laughs> widow sex is the best. <laughs> Tina knows these things from experience, guys. Well, join us next week to find out the answers to these questions. And until then, you can find us on Twitter at LadyWoodCast. You can find me on Twitter at WeeBrandy, O-U-I-B-R-A-N-D-I. You can find me, Sita Sean, at Slowbear, at S-L-O-B-E-A-R. And I'm at Lynn Sternberger. Thank you for listening.